we suck. Yes, like, we do. I just keep having yeah, it doesn't hit you all at once. It slowly sinks in just how badly we suck. And like it is frustrating almost that like we played Northwestern fairly close. Yeah, uh, we had a chance to tie the game and we just ran out of time. Right, we were within a score. We were within a score against Iowa. Yes, same situation. We had a chance to win the game twice and not just ran out of time, but just had some very unfortunate things happen. Yeah, all preventable things. Yes, I'm not saying they're not, but it's like... I know, I know. I'm just saying for the record, I'm not about to say we like lost that game because we were unlucky. We lost that game because we were bad. Yeah. It... We had chance after chance after chance to put Iowa away. I think Iowa was surprised how many chances they were giving us to put the game away. And just at every single turn, we could not get the job done. Well, Iowa didn't do themselves many favors either. They couldn't get a touchdown to save their lives. And they had, right. you know, a kick to ice the game and doinked it off the crossbar, which I literally have never seen before. And their kicker oh, still through the game. Like, I've, I've, I've seen kicks get doinked before. I've never seen one just go straight middle of the crossbar. It was a little beautiful. And that's why it almost felt like for a moment, I got super excited. Because it almost felt like, oh my god. If that happens, there's no way they still win this football game. I know. I, I said I wasn't going to believe. The pod has started, by the way. Uh, until <laughs> I figured the pod started a couple minutes ago. Yes. But we never officially introduced ourselves, so I figured it was time to officially... Welcome to Just in the Nick of Time. We cover the worst football team in the nation. So, like, as soon as Cam Taylor Britt fumbled that punt, I'm like, that's game. Oh, yeah. Which, looking back on it, it basically was, because that was only a three-point deficit with five and a half minutes to play and would have been decent field position had he just held on to it. And you have to think, you know, we at least do something with the ball there. Like, all the momentum at that point was in our favor. And it was going to take something extremely strange to get it back. And that doink off the crossbar was that thing. And we were moving the ball as as soon as we got that ball back. We got to the Iowa 37, I believe. Little under a minute to go. Touchdown is what you need to win the game. and then. Matt Farniok, who is an offensive lineman, I just can't say enough about how much unwarranted hype he has had throughout his entire Husker career. Isn't he a captain for some reason? He is one of seven players in Nebraska football history to be a captain two years in a row. For what reason, I have no idea. He has he is he is probably indisputably the least talented, right? Of those seven, absolutely. Like, is he is he just a real good guy? I think he is. Like, there's nothing that I've seen from him that would lead me to believe he's not, but it's just 
dude, you're not like <laughs> the material yeah. I want in a football captain because you can't block without either A, getting a penalty, or B, you just can't block anybody. If, if the defender does any move whatsoever, it, it's just confusing. He's just he's just bewildered by like a half a swim move. If you rewatch that last interception, yes. <laughs> he was in like squared up position, like exactly where you want to be as an offensive lineman. The dude makes one move and he doesn't even touch him. And Adrian is just absolutely blindsided. Oh my god. Yeah. Did I did I go on my rant about centers last week? On the pod, no. Okay. Did I go on it to you? Probably. So, in baseball, in, like, Little League baseball, you need three of your players to be really good. The pitcher, the catcher, and the first baseman. Because on any given play, the pitcher is the one who has to touch the ball, is required to. The catcher probably has to catch the ball unless it goes past the base, which is bad. And should there ever be, you know, a hit, the first baseman is the most likely person to have to catch that ball. Right? In football, the center is the equivalent of the pitcher here. They have to be the guy who most has their shit together, which in Little League is, it has nothing to do with talent, has nothing to do with skill, has nothing to do with the person who's going to be the best athlete. Just a kid who kind of has, like, spatial awareness and understands the goal put in front of them, which obviously was neither Justin or I. Nope. Not, not that we were coming in with great athletic ability later, but, uh, but those two things were lacking far before it was clear the other was lacking <laughs> permanently. And uh, so, you know, I'm trying to think of kids who were good example. I'm going to say like Ben Sager. Like Ben Sager just had it together and was good at every sport because he knew what the hell was going on and none of the rest of us did. And like, I think that is now absolutely part of it is these because we don't have anyone who's been trained as a true center like from high school right now, right? No, uh, Jurgens was recruited to solve our tight end woes, and like when Frost got here, he just saw something in this kid who's like, "That's a center," and we beefed him up. So Jurgens eats a whole cow a day and becomes. <laughs> A Nebraska center. And I love the idea of just like every morning they cart in a cow direct from western Nebraska. They give it one of those poor little cattle gun things right between the eyes. And they just like drag it off into the kitchen, piece it out, and just like in the most Spartan way ever, they just sear it all and they don't actually do anything interesting with the meat. Or I like the idea that they just put it on a spit and roast it through the night and just, like, present it to the guy as soon as he sits down in the, in the trading table. <laughs> just one giant oh stick of meat. 
Well, oh my god, they just put it on one kebab. One kebab. <laughs> or I like the idea that it's several kebabs that he then has to carry around all day. Like he's like walking into class, he's like, Don't mind me. His teacher's like, Why does it smell like cow fat at all times in here? It just smells like tallow. Sir, sir, what the hell? This is an art history class. You cannot bring several large skewers of 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 pound a piece hunks of cow meat into my classroom. <laughs> They don't even do anything like it's not like a steak. It's not a hamburger. It's it's just known as brown meat, and yeah, that's that's what I was saying. They just sear it. Yes, there's like no, <laughs> just like they cook it enough so that it does not give him like chickenosis or whatever you get from raw cow meat, because you know it would get him sick. But more importantly, that illness would probably make him lose pounds. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and we need our tight end to be a, a good old Nebraska center boy. He's he's from the Atlas. This is what he's been doing his whole life. We're just up in the oh ante a bit. Yeah, I is it just like Scott sat back and said, I don't want to go recruit a center? I think it was some combination of him just being of, of something in his brain going tight ends are athletic and they can block and they're probably more athletic than your average lineman. So what if we made a tight end, a lineman, that'd be a very athletic lineman. I think that was part of it. And the other part was like, there was no active centers on the roster or I guess out there in the wild that gave him as much excitement as the idea of trying that out. So and when you're and when Scott Frost was hired, you know it basically was like here here's a sandbox with the offense. Do whatever you want with it. You know, back when he was I've, hired, he was untouchable in the state, just off of hype alone. So if he has an idea, we're not going to tell him no. We're going to trust that he knows what he's doing. As you have, can see, we don't really have that now. Right? Have we seen? any of his harebrained schemes work out. I guess maybe the way he's using Wandale makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't strike me as something that takes a whole lot of like football knowledge to say, hey, when you've got one good running back that can be a good wide receiver and you have no good wide receivers that you are willing to put on the field, you have no choice but to kind of use him as a hybrid. Yeah, I'd say that, especially um, because our offensive strategy so many times has been just find some way to get him the ball and pray for the best. But I also think that this is probably recency bias, but the way he played both Luke and Adrian against Iowa, I'm not calling it genius, but I'd say it worked out far better than just what we had been doing at all up until that point in the season. Like, yeah, absolutely. I was going to complain first and follow up with the stuff I actually liked. And that was like the thing that in my mental notes was circled and underlined was I think that that balance worked really well for that game against Iowa. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it works well long term. I don't know 
you know, certainly not next year, I don't know. I don't know what we should even do against Purdue. I think it looks like that. But I don't know. But it was really nice when it was working against Iowa. Yes. Like, I've said this before, and, like, the Falcons are, like, the same way with me, where they'll be a playoff team 43-6 to over the weekend, but also, like, start the season 0-5, where when this team is clicking, we look like one of the best teams in football. And oh, yeah. That first drive out from the second half against Iowa, no negative plays. Everything's working down the field, ends in a touchdown, and we didn't even look like we had to try that hard for it. Everything just happened. Like, and then nothing happened like that again the entire half. Yeah. Quick aside, before I get into my point on this, um, it is good to be a Saints fan right now. That's my quick aside, just to cause Justin pain. Um, who dat? Uh, God, I'm evil. Yeah. Did you ever notice that we are only good for the first drive of any given half on offense? Yeah. I think these teams are so scripted. I think these teams are so focused on staying on schedule. And I don't think we practice. Maybe we do. But I would wager we don't practice enough. What do you do when the first idea doesn't work very well? Which is a foreign concept to me. Because I watch soccer. Where there's never a plan. Right? There's a vague, like, you stand here and take up this space and hopefully fill in this gap. But, like, the most complicated tacticians are the guys who give players, like, a three-step process. And even then, they're like, this might go over their heads. Like, because players are just expected to come up with shit on the fly and find ideas that are going to work and understand different concepts, absolutely. But, like, I just think I don't see creates not not even creativity i just don't see problem solving on this offense i just don't see like okay that didn't work let's get back on track somehow is that a fair criticism of what, of what we're watching like i would say so just there there were imaginative play calls in the first half that i saw i think that wide receiver reverse to alante brown was one of the more creative wide receiver reverses I've seen. So the entire first half, I'm like, you know, it wasn't a perfect half offensively by any means, but we're at least opening up the playbook. And then first drive of the second half, I saw mostly the same thing. But like, after that, it just, there was quarterback draw, screen pass, try to go deep, nothing's going, see what Adrian can do in the pocket. It's, it just became deja vu for most of those drives and like we might have ran out of like we ran out of stuff in our bag of tricks too early and just had no ideas left which is a very bad sign for an offense that is made up of two two different coaches who were in charge of the offense at Oregon at one point back when Oregon was like Oregon and they can't come up with anything for these guys 
I get that Oregon had better athletes than what we've got now, but we don't have like total scrubs out there. I mean, we have guys who I imagine it would be fun to draw something up for. Wandale, Alante, Ramir Johnson. Heck, even, you know, some of the bigger tight ends, you can get creative there with what to do with them in blocking and run pass options. And yet, it's just nothing. And the talent thing doesn't make any GD sense to me because we're losing to teams that I think we are obviously more talented than. Right? Illinois? Illinois. If we're not more talented than Illinois, the recruiting problem is so dire it can't be solved. And, and I might even say, if we're struggling that badly to recruit that we can't be as good as Illinois on a talent level, it can't be solved by any coach. Like, then it really just is the recruiting nightmare that, like, sad Husker fans on Twitter the day after a loss think we have. I don't think that's the case because God, I think these guys are more talented than Illinois. And so I run out of places to point the finger. I really do. Because talent gap in the vast majority of football games is going to win, win it for you. Right. It's, it's not a sport, I think, where a lot of times luck is a huge factor. It's not a hockey, right? It's not a soccer. And it's, it's certainly not like a college basketball where you have Cinderella stories. I mean, you do and you don't. But for the most part, when you have those Cinderella stories, you see why they're working. Right? And... Always, 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 the X factor is coaching. And, and I don't see how the X factor isn't coaching in reverse. I don't see how when you have a squad of guys that are obviously more talented than Illinois, when you have a squad of guys who I think are obviously talented to hang with a pretty good Iowa team, to hang with, I don't know what the hell to make of Northwestern this year. I'm not going to lie. Because it sure seemed like we could win that game. It sure seemed like we were lucky to keep it that close. And then it sure seemed like we could have won that game. Yeah, I don't... God, what the hell happened there? They have clinched the division, though, so they will be representing the Big Ten (laughs) West in Indy this year against either Ohio State or Indiana if Ohio State gets another game canceled which they might. Right, because who are they playing for the rest of the time? I want to say it's um, Michigan State this week and then Michigan next week. And Michigan just had to pause team activities and Michigan State just found a couple cases on their team. So, Right, and when you think about Jim Harbaugh, who, excuse me, kids, is a vindictive cop for longer. Um, and you think about, like, how much this game means to him, probably not a whole lot. He's going to get trounced and fired. Like, Jim Harbaugh is already the next coach of the Chicago Bears. Like, that's, that's just how that works. But, like, 
Oh, I there's no incentive for Michigan to play that game. None. Absolutely none. And so I think they just say, like, out of an abundance of caution. And it's not like the Big Ten can make them play that game. No. The the Big Ten has opened up a portal for teams to schedule teams whose games have also been canceled as long as there are a Big Ten team whose game has been canceled. So let's say this is not that, that outrageous of a hypothetical, given that Minnesota has over 20 current positives on that roster. Let's say, um, like, Nebraska's final game against Minnesota can't happen. And Ohio State's game against Michigan can't happen. Would we go play Ohio State to give them the, the joy of, of going to a Big Ten title game they're probably going to win and then a playoff that they're almost inevitably going to lose in? Well, um, Scott Frost was very, very buddy-buddy with Ohio State in the run-up to the season. And, you know... It, it, I would be even more mad about the way the season went if we go and we play Ohio State just to get the sh- kicked out of us so that they can go to the... I'm sorry to interrupt you, Justin. But I would actually grab a sign and stand outside Memorial Stadium. I don't even know what the sign would say. I'm so blindly angry right now. But so much that I personally could start a civil uprising, I would do my damn damnedest to make that happen. Ah, my God. After what the Big Ten has done to us this year. We would be back on their good side. Oh, my God. But willfully going like lambs to the slaughter. Just, just as a sacrificial win for Ohio State. Because we wouldn't try. Do you think our players want to play that game? No. I, and the conference has said they don't want to schedule repeats with this new loophole. But if it's the only way to get Ohio State in there, I think there probably would be another team whose game would get canceled if you're looking at what's happening in the country right now. So we might not be in this situation. I just think it's a fun thing to think of, like, because I can't for sure say we would or wouldn't at this point. And I think we might. I'm leaning towards we would play that. (laughs) Uh, Me too, which makes me so viscerally angry. So Harbaugh, get your crap together so we don't have to worry about that in two weeks. No, 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 no. Harbaugh boycott the game. Because I don't, like, I want nothing more than Indiana to play Northwestern. I want Northwestern to win. Because we have not had somebody from the Big Ten West go to the playoff yet, have we? Um, in this current iteration of the West, no. Right. And so, how great would it be to watch Northwestern go to the playoff and just get annihilated. Because I don't think the Big Ten is a very good conference this year. No, we we are Ohio State, maybe Indiana, maybe Northwestern, maybe Wisconsin, and then 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. 
Yeah, well, and then there's the rest of us, and then 50 more feet of crap, and then there's us in Penn State and Michigan. Yes. So, I don't know. Maybe Michigan State won't won't be able to play this weekend. But yeah, that I I would love nothing more than the the Big Ten scrapping together a last minute football season after every health expert warned that you know this was going to be the worst time of the year for COVID, like just in college towns and across America, but like specifically in college towns. And yet saying that, hey, this is when we want our most important parts of the season to be with no makeup dates, all because we canceled too early and realized that there's going to be a playoff without us and rushed back to have Indiana Northwestern in the championship game. That would make me so happy. Well, are, are they, like, realistically... Are they going to pick an Indiana or a Northwestern to go to this playoff? Because there are better Absolutely teams, not. objectively. So I think it's funniest if we say this whole season was to get somebody, Ohio State, somebody into the playoff, and we don't manage to do that. Absolutely not. They will take a one-loss SEC team any day over a one-loss conference champion, Northwestern. That would be fair. Oh, yeah, I would not be mad at them at all. I'd, I'd feel mad for BYU or Cincinnati who would get screwed because if there's – they were always going to get screwed. Yeah. But if there's any year where you just chuck a group of five team in there just to say, hey, we did it once, yeah, happy now, it will be this year. Right. And also, like, I don't know what the strategy behind that is because fans would love it. Oh, my God. And like the the ratings on that game would be insane. I I don't religiously watch every college football playoff game. I try and always watch the national championship unless it's two teams I find so repulsive I can't can't be bothered. Which is most um, <laughs> Yeah, that's Bama true. Clemson round twenty. Whoa, is that what we're gonna end up with this year? It as much as it pains me to say it, it. Ban was going to be in there. Either Clemson or Notre Dame, maybe both are going to be there. The only way Clemson doesn't get in is if Notre Dame beats them again. And I don't want to root for Notre Dame ever. So I like Notre Dame. Like I would very much prefer to root for Notre Dame over Clemson or Alabama, right? I guess, but just as a change of damn pace. Yeah. Like yeah, Bama has has the SEC on lock. Because who are they going to play in their title game? Florida, who's who looks pretty good, but so do every SEC team until they run into Bama. So, right. How much? Honestly, I'm asking this, and I could be way off base here. How much of that do you think is psychological? Um, maybe a bit of it, but I, I don't think honestly that much because. Okay. I think the Alabama game is like the Ohio State game here in the Big Ten. It's like every team's Super Bowl. Like, I honestly think Bama's getting the best shot of every of every team in their conference. And yet they're still significantly better than every team in their conference? Yeah. Like, I just think like, that they have are just a football machine of just – 10 plus years of positive feedback loops to the program 
the rich get richer in college football and they have just such an abundance of college football richness that they can like go on autopilot and still be better than most teams there. It is absolutely insane. Like just how just well because that program is. Just because if Alabama comes knocking to you as a recruit, there's nowhere else you want to go. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're from the South. Where a lot of really great recruits are from. Yep. And, yeah, the Floridas and the A&Ms, like, they have very talented rosters. They can even snatch a few recruits who wanted to – who would fit in very well at Alabama from Alabama. But when the chips are down, Alabama's roster is just too stacked to compete with. Like, if Alabama really wants somebody, they'll get them. Right. Everybody else in the SEC cannot say, say, this, say the same. Sure, there are years where, like, this happens in the World Cup a lot when I, I hear, like, the term the golden generation, you know. I think that happens a lot in, like, the SEC and the Big Ten. Like, last year was LSU's golden generation. That was, like, everything just happening at once perfectly for them. And they, they had their national championship run because Joe Burrow and Clyde edwards Lair, that was their golden generation. A couple of years ago, Michigan State had their golden generation, and they were able to beat Ohio State and go to the playoff. They got annihilated by Alabama there, but they were able to win the Big Ten World Cup. And like some years mm-hmm. it's Auburn and some years it's Wisconsin. So like, but any given year, the country of Ohio State and Alabama just have too many kids who are good at that sport to fail. So I guess two separate questions. Okay. Is it in the best interest of college football to find a way to trust bust this? Um, that's a good question. For me, I would, I would encourage it, but I mean, dynasties aren't bad for ratings. Like Bama Clemson. Really? Like if, if, if you look at it, like in pro sports, in the like NBA, especially, but NFL too, the Patriots, when they were, had their runs, they always drew ratings because People are familiar with them. People know these teams. Like, by and large, nationally, Bama-Clemson is a huge matchup. Just, like, you know, it's like how Yeah, it looms large in your mind. Yeah. It's like how people think of Nebraska-Oklahoma back in the day here. You know? Like, that's the game of these are the two teams that are just way better than everybody else. Who, like, who doesn't want to watch that? And for like hardcore fans, it can get very tiring because you actually know all of the, all the other teams. You follow other teams. You follow other conferences. But if you're just one of the most casualist of observers and you, like, you watch the playoffs and that's it, that helps a lot with the fans. Or like if you're an NFL draft guy and that's all you watch college for, which is not an insignificant number of people because the NFL is just that huge right now, you know almost every Alabama and Clemson player because of how big they are on the draft board and how many of them have had success in the pros. So, well, I think it would be very, 
I think it's in their best interest to try to break it up and have a very a more open sport. That's all I've ever wanted from college football is a, a season where anybody has a chance. But I don't see that desire yet because the playoff is, is so important to the minds of people in the conference. And if you're the ACC, SEC, or the Big Ten, you've got one spot waiting for you every year with your football factory. So why would you support anything that takes that away from you? Yeah. Couple of fairly scattered thoughts. Um, what order do I want to go in here? First, I think that makes a lot of sense. What you just said adds up to me. And I don't necessarily think the concern is among fans. I think the concern is among other football programs. If at the end of the day, what is the purpose of a college football team if not to at least fight for conference titles and probably fight for more than that in some greater way, right? I mean, you look at a team like Nebraska. And at this point, you know, now we'd just like to get back to nine and three. But you look at the Pelini years and just like knocking on the door of two different conferences, desperately trying to win a conference championship and not being able to do that. Like, let's say we kept Bo and let's say we just kept doing that. At a certain point, do people at high levels in the university say, listen, we are always and forever going to be a 9-3 and three team. That is our cap. That is the best we can do. Or if it's not 9-3, and three, you know, it's 10-1 and one and then we go and lose a conf- conference championship or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's just no point at a certain at a, at a certain level if you can't win your conference and so you back off investment you care a little less you do all the things that you can do to make money but maybe you don't look for a coach who's really going to keep pushing you forward you look for a coach that's going to maintain you at that level you know and maybe okay why are we trying so damn hard to recruit if we know that these are the teams we can beat and these are the teams we can't, let's not build new facilities, right? Let's not care quite as much as we do. Which then, of course, hurts the NCAA's brand name in that place because it's like, well, the NCAA made it impossible for us to win. College football sucks and I don't want to watch it anymore. Right, That's the kind of thing that has happened, I think, in soccer in some European countries. Is like, we are tired of fighting an uphill battle, knowing that we are never going to win it. There is no reason to pay attention to this. So we are going to like make money off of the super fans. 
and throw in the towel on the idea of winning the league or going to the Champions League and doing well. And like, you know, when the deficit is so large, other teams stop caring. Look at F1. Right? Williams is a great example. As soon as their fall starts, there is nothing they can do to get out of that spin. And so now it's like, well, the family sells the team to get the last bit of money they can out of it. And the team is now a Mercedes farm team. It's an F2 team that happens to race in the, in the, you know, in the Grand Prix slot with, with the other F1 teams. And that's just objectively bad for a sport. F1 would be better off if Williams was better. And frankly, F1 would be better off if Mercedes was worse. Because one of the biggest things that turns off people who are coming into F1 is the fact that Mercedes, and it used to be Ferrari, and Red Bull are so dominant. Yeah, like interjecting here. uh, I'm going to watch, like actually sit down and watch a race for like the first time in weeks because Hamilton's out with COVID now, so. Yo, the, okay, yes, I'm so excited for Sakir. Like, it's going to be so good. But the (laughs) fact that it takes Hamilton actually getting a damn plague to get me, a fan, to say, I'm going to watch an end-of-season race now, that's bananas. That's just bananas. Yeah, like, and it's it's not a race that matters. The championship oh. has already been locked up in the drivers and the constructors. Like it will only matter to other teams, and it's huge because it means that like all of these points matter more to the midfield teams. Oh, absolutely! It's it's like that race earlier in the year where like Hamilton got that huge penalty, and like Botas wasn't doing anything. So like you were just like right the TV, and like Gasly of all people wins. And it's like, that's never going to happen again. And like, to tie it back to college football, like that's, that's like a couple of years ago when Purdue beat Ohio State, you know, that's, I think that's the thing that keeps those teams invested is that anything can really happen in sports. Sure, more times than not, it doesn't, but it can. And it's just so glorious when it does that, you know, that just keeps, you can ride that high for like years and years. Of just right, we did that one time. So, and to tie it even further back to college football, here's where. So the teams that are most vulnerable to this, I think, are not teams that are already in a conference, but are teams like BYU, like Cincinnati, that people love, that frankly gamblers love. Because it's always a fun game to bet on. It's always another fun game that feels completely separate, that people are still totally here for. And so, like, those teams are going to stop trying unless you find a means with which to give them a boon at the end of the year. And the easiest way to solve, I think, a lot of these problems and I know I say this until I get blue in the face, but it's true, 
is a six or eight team playoff, preferably eight. Who goes to an eight team playoff this year? Like, let's play that game. I, I mean, think, who are in the top well, eight spots right now? Right now, I'd say you take three from the SEC with undefeated Alabama, one lost Florida, and one lost Texas A&M. All teams I want to watch. I mean, with eight teams, you can convince me that even with only five games under their belt, Ohio State should be in there as well because they are undefeated and they look damn good. And then you look down to the ACC, you can get both Clemson and Notre Dame in there. Then that still leaves two spots left over for an undefeated BYU and an undefeated Cincinnati. And I can't think of a single team think would have a legitimate gripe of being left out except for like maybe an undefeated USC from the Pac-12. But it's the Pac-12. Y'all yes. started late. Like, he's not even later than us. You may have played yourselves here. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's the other interesting thing. So you could make it just officially so that there are five spots for e- in a normal year you'd want to do this, not this year. But just make it so that if you win a Power 5 conference, you get a berth. Yes. And there are three wild card slots. Mm-hmm. Likely one of those is going to go to an SEC team. Yes, and I'd say if you are a group of five team that is undefeated, you get a spot as well. Right. Wait, by group of five, do you mean yeah, like like the smaller conferences? Yes. That's I think that's what those wild cards would have to go to. Mm-hmm. But only if Here's the Here's the other interesting thing. Now, this is where it starts to get into a conversation about player health, which I think is pretty contrived around the 18 playoff idea. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's crazy for you to tell me that they couldn't play a couple more games. But then let's say that you're a group of five team and it seems like the, you're undefeated, but it seems like the playoff committee can't decide between you and uh, uh, like one loss A&M this year or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You should be able to toss the gauntlet. You should be able to say that in some off week at the end of the season, before bowl season, we want to play you. Oh, yes. That, that's, that's an idea I've had forever, is one week before, I call it, like, this is not an original name or concept, but I read this, I think, on SB Nation once upon a time, and, and I love this idea. You leave one week open towards the end of any given season, like right before rivalry week or whatever. And it's the school dance week. (laughs) There are no scheduled teams. You have to find a date yourself. (laughs) Sadie Hawkins week. Holy (laughs) <laughs> oh my god so you gotta winter put on formal week <laughs> yep winter formal week you know you put on your nice clothes you, it, you go up to texas a&m's house and you say hey 
I've got a good football team this year. You want to play me this weekend? <laughs> oh, my God. And if they say no, they're a coward. And in a normal year, it could be from any conference. Yes. Like, you can ask somebody who goes Justin, to another Justin, school, it's fine. Justin, we could play Oklahoma or Texas. Yes. That's any the year we want. We could play Colorado any year we want. We could play Miami any year we wanted. Yes. I'm going to cry. This is such a good idea. I know. I don't see any way this goes bad. Like, legitly. Like, this is- I also don't see any way it happens. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's a super great idea. Because think about... Okay, yeah. Everyone looks forward to that game from a fan standpoint, regardless of where they're at in the rankings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like the mythical ninth game this year. Like, we don't know who we're going to play but we know it's going to be from the other division and a team we haven't played before. Like, I like the idea that you can't announce it until the morning of. <laughs> or maybe like, well, no, because you've still got to get... Yeah. No, because you'd know if it was a home or away game and you oh. just don't sell away tickets. Yeah, yeah, it can be like, you know, the top half alph- alphabetically is away one year and then home the next year. And it just, you know. Yes. Yes. Or if you're a fan and you buy an away ticket that year, you don't know where you're going to go until the week of. (laughs) How much fun would that be? Oh, so fun. Just like finding out whether we're going to like Norman or Boulder or Miami. Or Chattanooga. (laughs) I hate you. Um... You might need that win. <laughs> At this point, we would need that win twice. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. We have talked about football for, I think, longer than we intended today. Yes. yes. What were our other blacks? Nebraska ball. We look good. That's all I have. Uh <laughs> I, I, I was I, expecting you to have more, so that is our Nebraska ball block. Thanks, folks. No uh, more words shall be uttered about Nebraska ball on this podcast. I liked our other blocks better, so I, I figured we'd spend longer on those and just kick the can of Nebraska. Yeah, road. I feel like should Nebraska Nebraska ball start to look really good, like in conference play. Yeah, we will start to give it more attention. I think at this point there is enough Nebraska ball hype. I don't feel the need to add to it. Mm-hmm. Is that fair, audience? Yeah. You can't respond. Um. So what was our third block? Um. Do we want to? We've already talked a lot about football. So if we have time, we'll go with the uh, NFL scheduling a game Wednesday afternoon, not to interrupt a tree lighting ceremony, which is like <gasps> no. No, I'm in love with this. Okay. I am in love with this block. Because I don't think we need to go too into the weeds on what happened here. Yeah. But, but give us the barest bones and then just, just let me at them. Okay. So, the NFL, uh, we've mentioned this on the pod before, has had a real uh, pretend nothing's wrong approach with COVID and just shuffle a bunch of games around. We're going to make this season happen. And so far, they haven't had to cancel any game. 
They've had the Broncos play without a single quarterback on their roster, but they haven't had to cancel a game. And Steelers-Ravens was originally scheduled for Thanksgiving, but the Ravens... That game was fun, damn it. I appreciated that they made the Broncos play without a quarterback, and there's a reason I'll get into that. Yes, it was very fun to watch. They scored as many points as Tom Grady did against that Saints defense. So um, the Ravens-Steelers game, originally scheduled for Thanksgiving, was uh, postponed till Sunday because the Ravens had a lot of cases on their team, including star quarterback and last year's MVP, Lamar Jackson. And then they kept on finding new cases all throughout the week. I, they found, I think, even some yesterday. So they're like, yeah, we can't really play the game on Monday. Ooh, Tuesday's not looking good. How about Wednesday night? You know, that's like the last possible night before the next week of football begins. But NBC, the network that was supposed to carry the game, is host, is all, has that night the Rockefeller, I think that's the name in front of it. I might be wrong. I'll, I'll look it up. Adam Schefter has it on Twitter. That is the uh, that is the name. It's like the Rockefeller Center tree lighting. Yeah, the Rockefeller Center tree lighting with a treasured Christmas classic moment made more important in a dire year for the country. Damn it! The 88th Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting ceremony on Wednesday night with performances from Dolly Parton, Megan Trainer, Kelly Clarkson, Brett Eldridge, Corey Kelly. <laughs> And the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh my god! We're gonna hear Iris? Yes. We're gonna hear Iris from the Goo Goo Dolls after we hear from Megan Trainer. I had to unmute myself just to laugh at that set list. I needed the audience to know I was rolling in mirthful glee. And that's Oh my time. god! Megan Trainer and the Goo Goo Dolls are on the same set list. This is the kind of just godforsaken menagerie only NBC could bring you. That sounds like if you tried to make a set list as confusing as an SNL cast. Ah, Dolly Parton, Megan Trainer. This all makes sense a little bit so far. And to close it, are you telling me that's the last act? That has the end the in the tweet from Adam Schefter. So, ah, oh my God! I hope it's one of those ones where it's like they were sneaking them in as the end the, or Adam Schefter switched it around. Because if they're closing, there's no way. There's no there's way. There's no way. let's be real. Here's the real best case scenario is that because it's a huge super group thing on NBC, they all get together for the children and sing, do they know it's Christmas time at all together? <laughs> that is the optimal outcome here. But I'm sorry. Did you have anything else to say before I just rip this whole idea apart? I guess the game now is at 3:40 Eastern. Yes. And it's a very important game that features the last undefeated team in the NFL and a division rival who is fighting for <laughs> That gets presented by, Go- by Dolly Parton, Megan Trainer, and the Goo Goo Dolls. I'm so excited. I could, oh my God. Okay, we have covered all the background I'm willing to let us cover here. All I have to say, and we either need to bleep or just put an explicit tag about two minutes ago, 
National Football League. What the f- what the actual are you uh, how the mighty have fallen. Right? Marx called sports and religion the opiate of the masses. And what NBC has decided is that a better opiate at the most dire time that our country has seen, surely since 2001, probably since like the 70s or the 60s or even the 40s, the most devastating time for Americans, a better outlet is to watch Megan Trainer, Dolly Parton, and the Goo Goo Dolls put lights on a damn Christmas tree. That is where we're at. That is what we think of UNFL. That is what the networks who hold, still hold an incredible amount of media power think about you, is they are willing to put you not on a secondary channel, because I will remind you that NBCSN exists. They could have kicked one of these two things. MSNBC exists. Would Rachel Maddow love nothing more than to be treated as a real celebrity because she gets to run the tree lighting? Anderson Cooper gets the New Year's bash with Andy Cohen. Why doesn't she get a holiday deal, right? Rachel Maddow, I would be more likely to watch this if Rachel Maddow was hosting it. They had all kinds of options to make this easier on the NFL. And they said, no, this is an NBC property that is still an NBC property and still deserves the title spot on NBC, but not in primetime because we got to put lights on a Christmas tree. And, and you, you said it yourself. This is not some nothing football game. This is an important football game for the entire league, really, for the way that it all shakes out. Yeah, but as much as Lamar Jackson, it's, it's not as important as it was originally designed to be. I thought I heard a rumor he might be back. Uh, I, I guess it wouldn't surprise me if they rush him back. But Right. Um which I have a vested interest in because he's on my fantasy team. But, like, what the hell, guys? I don't understand. I don't understand how the NFL lets this happen. I don't understand the calculus from NBC unless they really think this Christmas lighting thing is going to get more eyeballs. No way. Like, even the... I don't know. We'd have to look up the numbers, which I'm sure they make public. Dude, even the darn Oscars don't touch a Sunday night football on a regular basis. Like, right. Oh my God. And like, if, 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 the, if they can't do it, like, with all due respect to Dolly Parton, like, this tree lighting was. Uh, I think it. you mean with all due respect to the Goo Goo Dolls. Sir, sir, let's not, let's not make make any bones about which is the most important act they got the end though well the goo goo dolls uh i feel the need to bring this up they were a part of the do, do you remember this from high school at all where there was this one meeting like this one assembly and uh chase was playing some character whose dad had just died and then he was really depressed about it so then Mr. Bertrand as Jesus picked him up and carried him around the gym while Iris played in the background. 
that happened. Yeah. And you're right. The song was Iris. Yeah. Why did they pick the Goo Goo Dolls? I better see a recreation of that exact scene on Wednesday night. I tell you what. (laughs) That would be worth the ratings. (laughs) That was just... Oh, my God. Ah, I'm having a moment just remembering that that occurred. Holy God. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how to explain this to the people. So there was, we, we had regular assemblies that were always just filled with garbage because I feel like they got to the week and then they were like, hey, we got an assembly. Somebody figure out something to do. And so normally Ms. Milan would have to put something together or they'd have to like find a speaker to come in and tell us not to like have fun and things. But then one time they must've just really had to scrape the bottom of the barrel. So they got who by all accounts, this man is, this man is a nice guy. Right, I am not going to say otherwise. Mr. Bertrand seems to me to be a perfectly nice fellow. Little bit misguided on what teenagers want to see. Decides to put together a bit of a play for us, involving which where was it? It was Chase. Chase was the tiny one. That checks out. Um, a kid named Chase, who. Okay, let's walk people through this because I'm not sure quite how well I remember it. But what I do remember is like, yeah, Chase is part of this family and there is a tragedy in the family. His dad dies. Is that what happened? Yes. uh, Joey, my roommate, was the guy who knocked (gasps) on the door. Yes, he was the cop who was like, your dad's dead, kid. Which is, if you knew Joey, the perfect role for Joey. It's just to like walk in and take all the air out of a damn room. Oh my god, we need to have, I need you to like do some research and talk to Joey about how this whole thing even came together. And like we can report back to our adoring fans about this incredibly interesting facet of the podcast. But yeah, so Joey comes up and he's like, your dad's dead. And then the kid's like, I am so sad now for I have no father. I will sit here and be sad. And then Mr. Bertrand, he's he's an older gentleman he's balding he's dressed in what can only be described as a toga and sash walks up to chase and says i will be your dad and like you know not exactly that but that's the premise right (laughs) and then actually if i remember correctly lifts him yes and cradles him. He's like a pretty short dude, so this is not that impressive for Mr. Betrayed, but still pretty impressive. Cradles him as he carries him around footsteps that have been laid out in the gym. And the footsteps were laid out on the onset, and you just you assumed they were Jesus' footsteps. But you weren't entirely sure. You just kind of figured. And now you're like, okay, that's what the footsteps are for. But the footsteps have this very Chekhov's gun rule where they're introduced in the first act. And we've made it to like the third act. And you're like, okay, now we need to learn about the footsteps. And then Bertrand is like, look, I'm Jesus and they're my footsteps. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. And that, I think, was the resolution. 
Like, it was just assumed that everything got better because Jesus was his dad friend who picked him up and carried him around footsteps across the gym floor. While there was no dialogue when he was carrying him, it was just, and I don't want the world to see me. Because <laughs> I don't think that they understand. Oh my God. They're going to play that at a Christmas concert. <laughs> just the most emo song ever. Oh my God. I love the Goo Goo Dolls for what they are and nothing more and nothing less. And I love that you reminded me that they were used in that moment. Oh my God. That's the, I think about that at least once a week. Just. Yeah, I don't, I, so I block emotionally traumatic, traumatic moments from my memory. Like it's, it's a thing my brain does where it's just like, we're going to put that in a box of things we never think about. And now that it's like been long enough that instead of just being so cringy, I wanted to die. It's incredibly funny. I'm very thankful that you brought it back up. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember that one guy who came in? And this was a prom talk. Let's just punt on F1 and talk about random shit that happened to us for a couple minutes and then call it a pod, okay? Yes. We'll talk about the Grosjean thing later. Probably in the F1 season recap that we do. Yeah, we're probably in the holy crap, someone other than Hamilton won the race thing we do next week. Um, oh, yeah, that would be fun. We'll just do an F1 roundup next week. Yeah. Or wait two weeks and it'll be the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I Three, actually, but who cares? So, do you remember? Now I've got a chant song stuck in my head. Uh, do you remember when we were in high school? They had one of those programs, but it was the before prom talk. You remember the before prom talk, yes. right? Oh, absolutely. Where it was like, don't do drugs, don't drink alcohol, don't have the sex, and don't drive while doing any of those things. And it was like, okay, I feel like if you're telling me not to drive, you've already got the tacit assumption that I'm going to do at least one of these things. But this one guy came in and his specific thing was to talk about drunk driving, especially after prom. Cause he like gets in there and he's like, Hey kids. And it's, it's an incredibly tragic story and I'm going to make light of some pretty heavy material here. And like, if that's not for you, I apologize, don't roll with it, but I still think this is incredibly funny in hindsight, so roll with me here. He comes in there and he's like, hey, my daughter died because she got hit because she was drunk driving. And like, was was she drunk driving or was she hit by drunk driver? I don't remember. I, I, I didn't pay enough attention to even think about that. I want to say she was the drunk driver because he was like, I'm so angry with my daughter. I still hate her, but I'm so sad. And it was just like a man who had clearly not worked through his shit, but then was just yelling at full tilt about his shit to a bunch of high schoolers. But then he gets to the end of this little spiel. I don't know if you remember this. If you checked out, I'm very proud of you. But he said, does anybody have any questions? And it was the most terrified response to a question and answer portion that I have ever seen in my entire life. Like the gym was just perfectly still silent. And then like 10 minutes early, 
I want to say it was Miss Bellana, just walks out, literally grabs this guy by the arm and drags him, drags him out of the gym. And is like, we're going to go back to class a little early, kids. Because <laughs> we had just watched just like an absolute breakdown transpire in front of us. Do you remember this now? Yes. Am I remembering this correctly? Probably. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't. I, I remember not paying attention after, after she died. And <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, she dead? I'm out. Like, this is about to get sad. Yeah, like, he's sad. He's talking about how sad he is. I, I remember lots of awkward pauses, but. Yes! They were like Obama pauses, like, and so. The point is, and like, you know, you just never knew when the other shoe was going to drop in a phrase. <laughs> um, what was other weird stuff that happened at that? Oh, God. Just thinking of assemblies. Uh, were you there for the senior dodgeball tournament senior year and the halftime show that was a recreation of Billy La Bufanda, which is a video that you watch freshman year in Spanish. Oh, oh, you've managed to remind me of both Billy the Scarf, because he doesn't get his fancy Spanish name here. This is America. And you've reminded me of Billy La Bufanda, but you've also reminded me of that halftime show at the same time, and I think I'm going to die. Yeah. (laughs) The kids who took French were like, it felt like they were like watching an Eric Andre bit. Like, it was... (laughs) This was one big Eric Andre bit. <laughs> I regularly run into people who look at me like, how did you get this way? And I'm like, if you went to my high school, you would understand. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then they did the, the other Spanish song at prom. Oh, God. Was it, was it uh, Principal Corda doing Soy Guapo? No, but that did happen. Yes. No, no. The Spanish teachers got up and did a Spanish song that had, like, dance moves to it. Oh, Danza Kuduro. Yes. Yes. And I desperately wanted to go sit with all of the French kids because I had only taken Spanish 1 and 2, and you learned this one in Spanish 3. But my girlfriend loved her Spanish teacher and wanted to dance and refused to let me sit down. So you see a bunch of, like, mostly white teenagers getting down to a Spanish song. And then just, no, you're right. And actually, this was the year, I was a freshman in college and I went back because I was dating a senior at the time and she wanted me to go to prom and so I said yes. And so I had a full-ass beard at this point in my life. And she won't let me sit down. So you see this. It's like just huge pile of white, very, very white. I cannot stress this enough. This is an incredibly white school. Just huge pile of white kids getting down to a song in Spanish, dancing after two white women and Maestra Napier who are re-showing them how to do this dance because who remembers a dance fully from their Spanish class? And I'm not allowed to sit down. I'm just standing there staring at the stage. This bearded, super overall, super super over it college kid, just like staring back at my former Spanish teacher, who clearly doesn't recognize me because I have a huge bushy beard now. And I just, in that moment, 
I think is what I've most wanted to cease being a human being and just like turn into a speck of dust. It was terrible. What else? Do you remember the chicken eating, chicken wing eating contest? Oh my god! Oh my god! When the priest had the chicken wing eating contest, I blocked yeah. that completely out of memory. Yeah, I heard like six of them went and puked after that. Because they like really it. went hard, like especially Father Sparling. <laughs> okay, who it doesn't surprise me with Father Sparling, but like there there are a lot of priests who who were at our school who are like you, you just could not see them eating large amounts of things. Like that's not a, a compliment or an insult. That's just the way they look. And yeah, and they were all still trying. Yes. Oh my god. Wait, one more thing about school assemblies, and then and then it'll be time to go. You're editing this, because that was mine feel. Oh, absolutely. I don't have anything else to do. Good. Remember Mr. Scheffler in his lip sync battle? What? Do you remember the lip Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. So, some background here. Uh, senior year, uh, the teachers decided, hey, as a fundraiser thing, uh, you get to donate money to whichever teachers you would like to see do a lip sync battle. Like, you know, Jimmy Fallon does it. Like, there's a show on a network now that does it. Like, it's, it's a popular online trend. So, like, there's one teacher up for it, Mr. Scheffler, who I'm not a primary source on this. Did you ever have him? No, which is to say neither Justin or I were good at math and science. Yes, but he is the physics teacher, and he's very strange. Just doesn't talk a lot, you know, (laughs) stares into space at his computer all day during class. Actually a legit guy, though. Like, super nice, if you ever ran into him. Mm -hmm. Supposedly a hard-ass in the classroom, but like... I had a whole conversation with him once as I was, like, sitting in the hallway during physics taking a quiz, and he, like, helped me on the quiz. Like, he's a bro. But um, he has, like, a theorem published at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln that he just, like, thought of sitting on his couch one day. Yeah. Like, he's way too smart to be doing the job he does, and that only makes what comes next funnier. Like, I think that's important context for what you're about to hear. (laughs) So... The lip sync battle begins. It's, you know, standard teachers trying to be hip with the kids. Uh, Father Kalp did his best impression of Melissa McCarthy on Jimmy Fallon's lip sync battle. It was fine. Uh, The choir teacher uh, did a Motley Crue song in front of a bunch of confused teenagers. Which, Loki, was a great moment. Because which song did he do? Kickstart My Heart. Yes! Which is just like, it's Motley Crue. So for the 80s, the most sexually charged thing ever. And this balding, like, kid guy with, like, a wife and three kids is out here in a wig, lip-syncing his heart out to kickstart my heart. And he was a choir teacher, so I knew the guy well and was like, I think this is funny, but this is not playing to the room at all. No. And it was just a perfect, like... 
objectively to me, if you knew him, if he had done that for the choir department, we all would have had a lot of fun. But instead, we just sat there in stub silence because he really went balls to the wall on this for the entire entire school and then was like, oh, by the way, we're recruiting for choir next year at the end. <laughs> I don't think a single kid signed up because of that. I think perhaps 10 kids turned away from choir because of that. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. Yeah. So then, you know, then it becomes Mr. Scheffler's turn. Nobody has any idea what he's going to do. Like he said, th- this is not a man you know much about other than that he just stares into space at his desk and that he's ridiculously smart. But we do know he's the closer. Yes. Uh, so Florida did like some song that the dance team danced to and, and like did a bunch of moves. They're like, hey, the principal's trying to dance. He, he was the clubhouse favorite going into Mr. Scheffler for sure. But like, and, and we probably would have remembered that had Mr. Scheffler not done what he did. Right. Let, let me set the scene here a bit. You know, it. Oh, because we haven't been setting the scene for a whole three minutes on this story. Okay, so he's out there. It's just him by himself. He doesn't have a mic, a costume, or anything. He looks like he always does. His little son, who's like in third grade, sprints out just randomly and joins him at, at center court. And then you hear, you already know who it is. Silento. Now watch me whip. Now watch me Amy. Which was, at the time, the Biggest song in the world, right? <laughs> like, it was huge right then. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. It is amazing you didn't throw us back out. It was the stiffest <laughs> incarnation of those two dances anybody had ever done. But, like, I think <laughs> there wasn't a row of kids in that whole gym who didn't freak out as soon as he hit that first move. I, like half, we lost our minds. Half the room was on the floor by the second nene. <laughs> <laughs> okay, total aside, but I love the fact that you demarks time here by using whips and nenes. Oh my god, you're right. They're like we just jumped out of our seats and lost our minds for this man because. No one could have seen this. And if I remember correctly, he's wearing like a hat and sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. You're right. That happened. And I, to close it out, I think what uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Luis uh, posted to a Snapchat story after the fact of a video of that and uh, the caption, God is dead and we killed him. Um <laughs> 